All right, we're going to just jump right in this morning because we've got a lot of fun stuff we're going to be doing together. So uh, today is our last uh, in a series that we've entitled Hope, uh, where together we've been going through the letter of 1 Peter. And today is the last part of that series. Um, and if you're just here for the first time or, you know, like you don't think about this all the time, let me just kind of catch us all up of what this series has been about. So 1 Peter uh, was authored by the Apostle Peter, and it was a letter that was sent out to a number of different churches around the Roman Empire. And uh, we can tell by a certain context clues throughout the letter that it was, uh, the audience was primarily Gentile, meaning not ethnically Jewish, and these were converts to Christianity. Not only that, but these communities were by and large uh, experiencing significant suffering. And so this letter uh, from Peter is written to encourage them about the great hope that is coming, also to remind them who they are in Christ, and then finally to encourage them on how to live in light of that coming hope. Now, one of the functions that this letter has is to, um, to help them have perspective on their current experience. So right now they're suffering, but he says that's not your whole story. You're actually part of a much bigger story. It's like there's just a microcosm of what's going on, and there's a lot more. Now, to help illustrate that, I want to play a little game together, and this is, you're going to need to participate. So are you ready to play a little game this morning? I'm like, this section, not so much. These outside, you all are more fun, apparently. Um, okay, so here's how it works. So there's going to be a series of three things, and, and uh, this is not a very hard game, but we'll see how you do. So you're going to see a zoom up of a mystery object, and then uh, we'll zoom out to reveal what that mystery object is. And I want you to keep score, because I'm competitive, and I know lots of you are as well. Um, so you can whisper to the person next to you if you want to help them out, but don't shout it out. And then let's see how you do at the end. There's three of these. Uh, here we go. So the first one is meant to be easy, so you all feel good. So there's the zoom in. Just take about two seconds to think about what that is. Um, and all right, let's reveal. All right. You feeling good so far, everybody? Okay, cool, cool. All right, now we're going to get a little harder. All right, second one. Here we go. Some of you are whispering, don't give it away. All right, zoom out here. And there we go. Okay, okay. Some of you are getting cocky, like, ah. Uh. <laughs> All right, all right, third one. Here we go. Let's do this one. This is my personal favorite. God is about to humble some of you. All right. Here we go. Let's zoom out. Yes. <laughs> Kissing gummy bears, like, of course. All right. Uh, just let's just let's just see how we all did. So raise your hand if uh, you got at least one right. Anybody? All right. There's a few without hands up. I'm so sorry for you. So. All right. Uh, how many got two? Two of them. Okay. Cool. Wow. Very smart group. And number. How many got th all three? God is watching you. Okay, cool. Very good. Now, here's the, here's the question you're probably asking. What does this have to do with 1 Peter? What's going on here? Um, here's what's going on. So 1 Peter is all about helping us uh, in the midst of what can be a very limited perspective, or he's helping this original audience zoom out and understand, again, that they're part of a much bigger story, that oftentimes in our lives, we get, we're like those first pictures where we're, just, we're so focused in that we miss the larger story. Uh, to help illustrate this a little bit further, let me uh, draw something. I'm just going to see. How are we? Can you see over here? Like, I'm going to. Can you see over here? Okay, cool. If you can, I'll move it back and forth a little bit. So here's the, here's the illustration. Uh, and this is, um, is going to get really high tech, so buckle up. Here we go. Um, all right, so in the first chapter, Peter talks about how each of us has a human body. And I'll just illustrate it with this circle here. 
Uh, and if you have any questions about how that starts, um, just talk to your mom or dad. That'll be great. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> All right. And then later in, um, in chapter one, he talks about for anyone who's placed their faith in Christ, they receive a new body. And it's this redeemed body in Christ. And here, I'll just illustrate it over there. You got it? You got it? Okay, cool. Um, now, at the beginning and the end of the letter, and if you don't believe me, we'll see this more as we go through the text today, one of the defining qualities that Peter talks about, about this body, this experience, this time right now, you know, the 80 whatever years that for most of us, uh, is a defining quality is a time of suffering or a time of pain. And so I, I think of one of my favorite quotes from one of my favorite movies from The Princess Bride, where Wesley says to the princess, life is pain, your highness. Anything who tells you differently is trying to sell you something. <laughs> now, if we stop here, this is kind of a dreary outlook, right? This is kind of a bu bummer message, and, and this is what Peter is moving towards in the lives of these early Christians, because he's saying, no, no, no. No, you have actually, you're part of a much bigger story. In fact, your story is one where someday... Christ will return not too long from now and he will make things all, or he will make all things right. He will give us a new body and we will be with him in a new creation forever. And he defines this time as a time of glory. This is a time of rich, there's a rich inheritance waiting for us. We'll see that, those words a lot throughout the text. And so when we have this perspective as we go through our lives, even in the midst of the here and now, this helps us to be a people of great hope. In fact, it becomes a defining quality of us as people and as a community. Now, can you all, here, I'll just, one last time we'll do that. little Vanna White moment. There we go. Okay. Now, as we look at this, one of the questions you might ask, and this is a question that we see Peter answering in his text, is if this is all we're thinking about, then a natural question to be asking is, okay, so I, I realize that that's just a blip on the radar in, in, the, in the greater story. So does it really matter how I live now? And Peter's, what we're going to see is he says, absolutely it matters. In fact, for those who have an authentic faith in Christ, it should change everything. And today in the chapter, we're going to see one character quality that he is encouraging, in fact, compelling with all his might for the early Christians to exemplify. And it has everything to do with our lives today. So take your Bibles, if you haven't already, and turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter is a small little letter towards the end of your Bibles. And so if you're having a hard time finding it, uh, my tip to you is table of contents. It's the ultimate cheat sheet. Uh, and I w we're going to go through this together, so follow along with me. So 1 Peter chapter 5, starting uh, in, verse <clears throat> in verse 1. Here we go. He writes this. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's suffering, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the good shepherd appears, 
or chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. All right, let me just pause here for a second. So at the end of chapter four, Peter's talking to the entire church body and he's talking about or writing about how uh, or some of the, the suffering they're experiencing. And so in light of that suffering, he now turns his attention to the church leadership. And what he's saying to them is in light of what they're experiencing, he's encouraging this leadership, this leadership to care well for their communities. And to try to help us picture the right thing, because the context here is very different than what we're experiencing right now. So it's not probably, well, it's not anything like this room or this kind of gathering. So these churches were house churches scattered throughout the Roman Empire, so small. And they were led by these local elders who were oftentimes also the homeowners. And so uh, if you're trying to picture what this was like, it would be a lot closer to like the equivalent of our life groups here or something like that. And so with that picture in mind, um, it makes this next part even that much cooler. So look back at verse 1 with me for a second because something very cool is happening with how Peter is talking. So Peter, as you may remember, is one of the apostles, which means that he had the highest position of authority in the church at, in those days. And yet his approach is to identify with these local leaders as a peer. So he could have come in and said, like, this is how you should do it, right? He had authority to address them like that. But no, he comes alongside them as a peer and says, hey, I want to compel you. I want, as, as, as a co-equal, I want to try to get you to act this way. And so we get this really cool picture of Peter being a humble leader. Now, what is his appeal? Look back at the, at the text. He's asking them to be like shepherds for their church. But now what does that mean, right? Because now that's kind of like part of just church culture language. Um, but we don't always maybe connect the dots. So back in those days, this is, well, throughout Scripture, actually, this is a frequent metaphor that we see of shepherds, so both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And for the original readers and listeners, this would have been a metaphor that made lots of sense because most, if not all of them, lived in an agrarian context. Uh, and so they either were shepherds or were related to shepherds or had seen shepherds. Uh, this was just part of their cultural experience. But for us, this is very different, right? As far as I know, uh, very few, if none of us, are shepherds here. And many of us don't live anywhere near agrarian realities. We just, we're like, where does milk come from? I don't know, I like it. And so, let me read um, a description of what a shepherd's job was like in those days and try to think about what this looks like when caring for a community. So here's a job description. In the early morning, the shepherd led the flock marching in front to the spot where they were to be pastured. Here he watched them all day, taking care that none of the sheep strayed. And if any escaped his watch, he would seek diligently until he found and brought it back. In those lands, sheep required regular water, and therefore the shepherd had to guide them either to some running stream or wells dug in the wilderness. And at night, he brought the flock home, counting them as they passed under the rod. I love that uh, picture that comes to mind. So as to know that none of them were missing. His job did not end at sunset. Often he had to guard the flock through the dark hours, of the or dark hours for the attack of wild beasts or the wily attempts of a prowling thief. So this is what the elders were supposed to be like for the church. Their job was to protect and to serve and to guide and to care for these little communities. And then Peter goes on to give three, don't lead like this, but yes, lead like this. And so let me just show you these in parallel columns up on the screen. So the first one is this. He says, do not serve out of obligation, right? Don't serve because you have to. Don't let that be your attitude. But instead, do serve 
willingly. So attitude is very important here. The second one is do not serve for dishonest gain. Don't serve because of what's in it for you, right? As you're moving into or in a uh, role of leadership, don't be about like, what am I getting out of this? How can I twist the system to my own advantage? But do eagerly desire to serve others. If you're leading, how can you have a posture of saying, how do I put others first? How can I put them before myself? And then finally, and this one is so incredibly relevant today, do not use your power to domineer others, but do live as an example worth following. So don't abuse your power. Don't use your power to lord it over others, but instead be the kind of person worth following. And in these just three like parallel statements, we get this really uh, helpful and powerful picture of healthy versus unhealthy leadership. Now here's uh, what I imagine is happening in the room right now. There's a bunch of you who are like, yeah, this is great, but this has nothing to do with me, right? I'm not a leader, so cool, cool, words, words, words. Let's move on to the stuff that relates to my life. <laughs> and that's okay, like that's a pretty normal thing. But before we assume this is irrelevant for you, Notice that Peter is writing to the church leaders in a letter that was meant to be read in front of the whole church. So it was meant to be read out loud, kind of like what we just did here. And in doing so, what happened? It created this really powerful sense of accountability, a really healthy accountability for those leaders in those communities, right? Imagine, like, everybody's in on the secret now. They know that everybody knows, like, oh, yeah, you're supposed to be like that. And so here's, uh, here's something really practical for us. This is how we should want our leaders here at Door Creek Church to be. And I realize as I say this, this is kind of an awkward moment <laughs> because I am one of those leaders here at the church. But we should want our leaders to be leading willingly, to be servant-hearted, and be an example worth following. And so here's something I would just ask from all of you is that you would pray for the leadership here. Maybe you're like, I do that, and that's awesome. Thank you. And let this be a guide for how you pray. Pray that our leaders would have these qualities and that we would be a community that's led by humble leaders. And then before I fully let anybody off the hook, I do want to ask you a question. Who are you leading? Are any of you life group or small group leaders? Are any of you parents? Are any of you supervisors in your job? Do any of you have influence over somebody else in your life? If so, are you doing that willingly? Do you have a posture of being a servant-hearted person towards those around you, putting others before yourself? And are you an example worth following? That's a good way for us to pray for one another. And now Peter continues uh, by addressing the entire church. So let's continue to read together uh, going back into verse 5. Verse 5, here you go. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. All right, the second part of uh, verse 5 is a foundational. It's a fundamental verse for understanding the entire letter of 1 Peter. Because here he's saying, here's an essential character quality for all Christians. Which means this, if you're a Christian here today, this is an essential character quality for you, for me. And it's, it's what? 
that Christians should be humble. Peter quotes from Proverbs 3, 34 that says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And the, one of the ways of expressing this humility, he goes on to say, is that whenever you feel anxious, not if you feel anxious, but whenever you feel anxious, that you cast those cares, that you give those anxieties over to God. And that, that encouragement becomes all that much more significant when we remember the context, right? Because here's a group of Christians that were marginalized, that were suffering in many ways. They had every reason to be anxious, right? Because of their faith in Christ, they were experiencing public ridicule on a, on a daily basis. Many of their families were be div being divided because of their faith. They faced potential prison, torture, even death. Now let me ask a leading question is there any of you here today who want to be opposed by God? Now, back in my middle school days, um, when I did youth ministry, whenever I'd ask a, a question like that, there'd always be one kid who's like, uh, I do. <laughs> that was my middle school voice. I'm so sorry. Middle. Um, and I love you guys. You, if there's any middle school students here, you guys are awesome. But here's the deal, I just want to, because nobody else has the perspective I have, so nobody raised their hand, right? A few people didn't try to not make eye contact in that moment. And here's what I said, good job. That's right, that's the right answer. But, broadly speaking, is pride an issue in our society today? Absolutely it is. And it's also a huge issue in our churches today. And so how do we know if it's our issue well, let me start with just a definition because that helps us get on the same page. So here's one definition of pride. It says, pride is just an inflated sense of self. And so pride can be true of a person. It can also be true of a community. And here are some of the signs of pride uh, as described throughout Scripture. And this is not an exhaustive list. Just here's a few examples of when we can tell that pride is present. Uh, one is when a person or a community has a sense of superiority. That they just feel like they're better than, and then it's just kind of fill in the blank. Or a cynical insensitivity to the need of others. So you see the problem, you know you, there's something that can be done about it, but you just kind of don't care. Or thirdly, a sense of total self-reliance. Just a posture of, I got this. Like, I'll take care of me, you do you. And a, person, a proud person or a proud community uh, uses whatever power they have. And they don't necessarily have to have a lot of power, but whatever power they might have to their own benefit. And pride can be both an attitude, it can also be a way of acting. C.S. Lewis uh, writes about the danger of pride this way in his book, Mere Christianity. He, he writes this, and the words will be up here on the screen. According to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil, is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. It is pride which has been the chief cause of misery in every nation and every family since the world began. Whew. You can't really say it much stronger than that, can you? And yet here's the challenge. We are really good at recognizing pride in other people. It's really hard to see it in our own lives. Like, if you're proud, chances are right now you're like, this sermon is not really for me, but I hope so-and-so is listening. 
And so a sign, a warning sign should be like, as you're hearing these words, like lots of other names and faces are coming to mind, but you're not considering that you should look first in the mirror. Because pride is like a cancer that grows in our body without being detected until it is too late. And so how do we become aware of pride? How do we become self-aware of it in our own lives and in our lives as a community of people? Uh, let me just share two tips. And these are not creative. They're not new. Uh, they're not fancy or anything. But I have found them to be incredibly helpful in my own life of trying to detect pride uh, in my faith journey. So here's, here they are. The first one is this. is to pray. And you're like, duh. <laughs> but to just to pray and pray a simple prayer like this. God, help me to see where there's pride in my life and to grow in humility. Just open my eyes, help me to be aware of my blind spots, help me to see pride in my life and grow in humility. And here's my experience with that kind of prayer. When I pray that sincerely, God usually answers it. (laughs) And sometimes if I'm honest, like I don't actually want an answer, I'm like, God, just show me just like a little bit of the pride (laughs) and just a little bit of how I can grow. Like I don't actually want to know, but if I can come and say, God, show me where I'm being proud and help me to grow in humility, I have found that God answers that prayer. And the second tip is just to ask those around you. Is come, come up to those who you trust, who know that you, or you know that they love you, and ask them to be honest with you and just say, hey, help me with my blind spots. Where can I grow in the area of humility? And here's just a little side note, but I, I found this to be true too. The more leadership you have, the more authority you have in your life kind of just day to day, the harder this is to happen because people are less likely to be honest with you. And so it's that much more important that you listen. And so if you have the guts to ask this question, then you need to listen because your default, probably if you're like me, is going to be to like rebuttal everything. You're like, yeah, okay, I hear that. But like, listen, have you met (laughs) so-and-so? They're way worse. No, 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 just listen. And why is this so important? Because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And we do not want to be a community or individuals that God opposes. Amen? Now, Peter goes on and builds on this idea of spiritual awareness. So let's uh, continue on in verse 8. Verse 8. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. Um, The first time he gives a warning like this is back in chapter 1, verse 13. So we see that this is a pattern or a theme for 1 Peter throughout the letter. But here's what he writes in in chapter 1, verse 13. Um, And you'll notice the similarities. Therefore... With minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Now, in the first sermon in this series, Mark used the illustration of texting and driving to illustrate how any of us uh, can really easily get distracted in our own faith journeys. And just like texting and driving, it uh, can lead to disastrous results. And here we see another example, uh, where, or the similar warning, rather, where he's saying that Satan is prowling around like a lion, looking for someone to devour. So it's this really powerful image. Now, just a couple of quick observations about this. 
First is this. We have an enemy, and our enemy is real. But our enemy is not other people. We see that our enemy is spiritual forces. Paul writes this in Ephesians 6, 12. He says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And therefore, it is so important that we are really, really careful not to categorize any group as the enemy, whether it's by religion, race, politics, age, gender, socioeconomic group, they are not the enemy. Second observation is that we need to be cautious not to make too much nor too little of our adversary. We're, we just saw in verse 7, right, where Peter's saying, cast your anxieties, give your anxieties over to God. Now here's another quote from C.S. Lewis, this time from the Screwtape Letters, where he's describing these two uh, errors that often we fall into when thinking about Satan or uh, the spiritual realm. Here's what he writes. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race, this is human beings, can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased with, by both errors. And so, how do we remain alert without succumbing to fear? Well, Peter just talked about this. He said, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And so one of the ways we be, stay alert is that we practice being humble, that we practice uh, things that help us have a right-sized view of who we are in light of who God is. One of my favorite um, authors, writers, speakers was a guy by the name of Brendan Manning. Uh, and throughout his life, he struggled with alcoholism. And because of that, uh, he experienced God's grace in really profound ways. And if you've never read anything by Brendan Manning, I just recommend any of his books uh, are some phenomenal, phenomenal reads. Uh, and here's what he writes about humility. And I'm going to read this slowly because this is a thick sentence, but I think it can be really helpful uh, as a guide to how we can grow in our own humility. Here's what he writes. The heart of humility lies in undivided attention to God. A fascination with his beauty revealed in creation. A contemplative presence to each person who speaks to us. Which that becomes so much more profound when we think about our current technology. Just being present with the people you're with. And then finally, a de-selfing of our plans, projects, ambitions, and soul. Over the past uh, several years now, I have had the privilege of going on a week-long backpacking trip with the, the same group of guys. Um, and every year, we go to a different national park here in the U.S. And um, I get to do this trip because, one, I have an amazing wife who encourages me to do it. And also because every year I come back just refreshed and encouraged. It's like just I, my soul feels filled up. And uh, our schedule is really pretty much the same every year. So we go off into the wilderness somewhere. Every morning we get up uh, early. We eat mediocre food at best. Um, we pack up all of our stuff, and we try. We, it's a little fun game of trying to put your stuff in somebody else's bag because um, then they have to carry it. Awesome. And then we throw our packs on, and we walk uh, through the wilderness all day long. And we hang out with each other, and we just enjoy 
the beauty of God's creation. And uh, because it's the wilderness and because of the kind of routes we tend to try to pick, uh, we can get pretty remote sometimes where it's not uncommon for us to go like a full day or even sometimes two days without seeing another person. Which for me and my introvertedness, that's like the ideal vacation. <laughs> Some of you are like, that's the opposite of an ideal vacation. I get that. Um, but there's something about just the vastness of nature that helps right-size my view of who I am and who God is. Like for me, there's really nothing that beats that, that period of time in the day where it's right after dinner, you've got a campfire going, and you're laying back and you're looking up at the stars as they're coming out in the sky. And you feel like you could just be swallowed up by the universe. And it's just, the vastness is incomprehensible. And every year I'm reminded of how small and fragile I am and how vast and glorious our God is. So let me ask you a question. What are the things in your life, what are the practices or activities that help remind you of who you are compared to who God is? What are those things that right-size the view of yourself? And help expand your view of God. It doesn't have to be a week-long anything. It can be a couple minutes. And it might be different things. In fact, it will be different things based on how you're wired and what your personality is. But what are those things for you? And then secondly, are you building them into the rhythms of your life? And it's important, I would encourage you to try to identify those. And then try to make patterns as much as you can. And I realize there's different life stages and different times. But to try to build them into the pattern and the flow of your life. And now, we're going to wrap this up with Peter. He's going to go back and he's going to end on the big picture note. He's going to end on a, with a word of encouragement. So let's, one last time, let's jump back into the text. Verse 10 and 11. He writes this. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, which, by the way, is his way of describing our life, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. So Peter ends his letter, except for a few acknowledgments. He ends his letter and bookends it. So it takes us right back to the very beginning of this letter. So look back, and these words will be up here on the screen. Uh, in chapter 1, starting in verse 3, this is how he opens and so you can tell that this is important because he starts this way and ends this way. Here's the first few verses uh, from chapter 1. He writes this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new life. So this over here. Into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. And then skipping down to verse 6. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. And so Peter brings us back to this image. He, gives, he zooms out and gives us the big picture. And he reminds us that we serve a glorious and mighty God who's given us a new life and an incredible inheritance to come. It's a reminder that our life, our time right now in these bodies is but a blip on the radar compared to eternity and a new life and a new creation with Him. 
That reality helps put in context whatever suffering we might be going through. And I don't say that to diminish it or minimize it, but rather to help us understand how it fits into the bigger story. And if there's any of you here uh, today who, uh, for whatever reason, you're just checking this Christianity thing out and you ha- you're not really sure if you believe and you're just, you've got lots of questions, that's awesome. I'm so glad you're here. And this is what Christ is inviting you to, is to a new life in Him and then this glorious inheritance to come. And if you're here and you are a Christian, this is a, your story. This is our story. And may this story right-size our view of who we are compared to who God is. May it help us to be a community of people that are incredibly humble and filled with hope, even in the midst of hardship, while we eagerly await his return. God, we praise you that you are God that speaks. And we'd ask that by your grace you'd help us to have ears to hear and eyes to see. I pray that by your grace that we would be a community of people that are incredibly humble because we have some sense of who we are compared to who you are. And finally, I pray that we would be a people of hope. That even in the midst of hard times, that we know that our current reality is but just a small part of the story. And that one day we will be with you. Thank you that you are a God of hope. In your name.